Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. In this episode, we have on friend of the show, Remy Delon. Remy is one of the co-founders of Kumankaya, along with his wife, Ashley. Kumankaya is a retreat center in Mexico, just about an hour outside of Tulum. Amongst a wide range of things we discussed, we highlighted living an authentic life and what that means for us. We talked, each one of us, about being the synthesis of our life's influences, being theocentered and not egocentered, new age spiritual limitations, separation between the mind and heart, and how we experience meaninglessness as boredom. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Gin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing I want for. You to get together. Now isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. As you will already have heard from the intro, and as you can kind of see if you're watching the video, we are once again joined by one of the most fascinating gentlemen <laughs> you're going to have the delight to listen to, uh, Remy Delon. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again, Remy. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Daniel. Of course. We had our first time meeting with another Remy just for a few minutes beforehand, and, you know, Daniel knows Remy really, really well. And uh, if you, you know, we Daniel's done the previous interview with Remy, so you can always go and check that out too to complement this one. Yeah, but that just one, the 15, yeah, that one's called Kumankaya, which is the name of uh, Remy and his wife's center just outside of Tulum in Mexico. So if you're interested, you can find that one. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that stuff too, right? Just mm -hmm. the whole idea of what it means to kind of do those retreats and. That was one of our ideas of talking about for sure again. But degree uh, in philosophy, theology, and then musicology <laughs> with a focus on Byzantine music and uh, all the great aspects of that, the Greek modes and the microtones and all the fascinating aspects of that. So I was like, okay, this is this is a fascinating guy. <laughs> Had me in 15 minutes. <laughs> so we're in for like a delightful talk. And uh, it occurred to me, maybe the place to start with it, and then I'm gonna hand it off to Daniel for most of this, but what struck me was maybe the connection that uh, that you maybe felt in your life, Remy, between uh, philosophy, theology, religion, your spirituality, and music. Maybe that's the first thing to think about how that fits together to you. Because it occurred to me that that's, I think, part of all three of our lives, we see some connection between us. So maybe that's just a place to start before we even talk about some of the other things. For sure, what what was important for me since I'm very very young, it was to have a very coherent life. I wanted a life where I live what I'm thinking, or more precisely, what, uh, where I live what I'm believing in. That's why when I was 17 years old, I I entered into monastery. I, I lived 20 years in a monastery, and for me, the monastic life was the best way because it was where the by by excellence where we live really fully on a daily basis what we're believing in, and so what we are 
how all the metaphysics are not just books, they are a day of a way of life, a path of life. And so that's why I, I turn my to do the plant medicine and the spiritual spirituality that goes along with and that's where I am at now. And so same for the same reason. I want a life that is not just daily basis like that you want it to do a full-time uh, practice 24 7 yeah it's funny by a weird coincidence i was out having crepes ahead of time <laughs> and talking about some philosophy with people and the main subject matter of the conversation a little synchronicity i guess was about that same thing i wanted to have that feeling that my life felt authentic on a day-to-day -day basis so we yeah. were throwing the word authentic around you know you feel like you're really doing something that you know, as close to your heart has meaning to you rather than just like going through the motions or something, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why I started to study philosophy first the love, for the love of the wisdom, you know, as the etymology of philosophy goes. But I get disappointed, in fact, very, very fast because I, when I went to the university, I was studying from the monastery and going to the university just for exams. Oh, yeah. But when I went to the university, I was expecting to find a philosopher but I didn't find philosopher. I found philosophy teachers. Uh, and so people they were more academic. They weren't necessarily living the life. They were more academics or exactly, something. Exactly. And my seven years of studying, I found one person. And I didn't really agree with his philosophy, but at least it was coherent. It was really, there were no difference between his thought and his life or his life and his thinking. And so... Uh, that was a little bit of a disappointment for me. That's why I turned myself to a theology. So maybe I could find people who can pray and think and live the same way. There's no uh, uh, discontinuity in between those, those levels of life, if you like. And uh, I end up um, doing musicology just because I love music and <laughs> sacred, sacred music in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like speaks so much to my heart. <laughs> that whole idea of having the continuity of things. I got kind of lucky, you know, again, we're talking for the first time, uh, though Daniel and I have talked about this. I went searching in my own way and I kind of found Zen initially. Mm -hmm. And I got a little lucky because the Zen school I was at had that very kind of idea of integrating all the different parts of the life, you know, yep. to make it all coherent. And mm -hmm. so the way it was handled in that school was that you do your meditative practice, but then you'd also do a fine art I'm a music lover too. So for me, that was always music is the fine yep. art with the idea that's developing almost a different part of yourself, right? Then they had the idea of doing a martial art, which I wasn't probably, it's kind of fascinating. I wasn't a national natural martial artist, but I kind of like playing with swords and things. So that was good. <laughs> but then in the end, it was also like the healing arts. So they had an idea of like a complete person somehow, right? Like built into the way they were Absolutely. doing the training, which wasn't, isn't always the way they do that in Zen necessarily. So it was kind of a unique school and I, I think I just got kind of lucky. So it was interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Just the, the completeness of it. Yeah. I don't know how it speaks to you all, but like I had, you know, again, I was talking over my crepes and, uh, and uh, decaf coffee, but um, you know, just the idea of like meaningfulness too, you know, that I want to feel that what I do every day is meaningful, which is pretty much the same that's, word, that's right? I meant. No, I'm French, so I don't have yeah. the whole English vocabulary, but that's exactly what I meant. I was looking since yeah. a very young age, since I'm a kid, for meaningfulness. And especially 
in my own uh, in my own uh, vocabulary i was looking for a true conscious experience of the presence of god in my life that was my goal my ultimate goal and so when i turned uh, 17 years old i had the thought like if there's such thing as a god i have to experience consciously his presence in my life which is the ultimate meaningfulness for me if you like and first thing and then i can go on with my life that's why it took me 20 years and now I go on with my life. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel it's so true. I had the same thing. I was sick when I was a teenager, and we've talked about that on the podcast. And it created this real like, okay, I want to find meaning. It somehow created some spark in me. And I wasn't going to be satisfied doing other things until I found that meaning. Mm -hmm. And then I could feel okay. <laughs> then I could go on and do other things. But until I felt satisfied with that, then, you know, I wanted to have spiritual meaning or the experience of, god or the transcendent or something you know i wanted to have that experience and then once i felt like okay i'm comfortable with that i have some sense of that we all deal with that in our own ways but i had some sense of that then it was okay to do other things but before that i wouldn't have felt comfortable and as we spoke earlier also for me we were speaking about existentialism french existentialism mm -hmm. i was very sensitive to that also in a way that for me the meaning of ex existence was the presence of god and if I want to find the meaning of my own existence, I have to find in my personal conscious life the presence of God. That's why I turned myself first to the, the monastery. And as we were joking with Daniel, I left a monastery made of stone, and now I find a monastery made of trees and plants. Yeah. But it's the same light that illuminates both. You know? yeah. Do you feel like, um, I'm, what would be curious for me, you know, talking to you the first time would be like, do you feel like you're kind of... Uh, Greek Orthodox Christian background fused with what you were experiencing through your work, you know, through the medicines, through ayahuasca and through those spirits. Did they oh, fuse sure. together I, or like, how did that work out for you? I left Because the there's something about integrating things, yes. right? How do you pull the experiences fact, of your life? You're touching together? a very interesting point, Eric, because for me, it's very important that I didn't leave the monastery because of my faith. I leave the monastery because of the way of life. 20 years of living all time, the same rhythm with the same person. And I wanted more opening, discovering more the world, discovering more people. That's why I left the monastery, not because I had like a faith crisis or something like that. No, not at all. And so after that, when I entered into the field of the plant medicine, it was the whole game. What do I do with my personal background, monastic background, Christian religious background? What do I do with now the, the practice with the plant? Because you can find uh, in both, both fields, uh, criticism you know in a religious in a religious field you will find criticism about oh, the sure. plants and in the plants field you will find criticism about the religion <laughs> and so I am the myself for a long time I struggled trying to do intellectual synthesis of it mm. integrate it intellectually until I discovered I discovered that no it's about the heart I am the synthesis of it and I don't have to read book about that. I don't even have to write book about that because I am the, the perfect synthesis of uh, my Christian background and a, a monastic experience and my pra practice with the plant. It's kind of a point of like uh, maturity or something in the ideas. It matures yes. to the point where you feel this. Yes. It's like when you take a plant from another country and you put it in, in American soil. It takes a minute. Sometimes it can die, it cannot work, you know, but if you take care of it, it can really ground and root, and at some point it can, it can bloom and even grow in a different ways than in its own original soil, you know, so 
that's exactly what's happening for me on a you know existential level did you have some feeling that there were like spiritual truths in the different parts of people of human teachings right different ways that people talk about this and there was some natural underlying sense of like people are getting to something similar and i can approach this in different ways and it should be able to fuse did you feel that way remy because we talk about that a lot definitely that's why i say as a joke that i left this monastery made of stone and found one made of trees and the light that illuminates both of them is the same for me the, the, the goal is the same only the means have changed yeah and so there's absolutely a, a continuum for me there's no separation but people sometimes when they are really advanced in the spiritual path or advanced in the in the plant medicine path can also have some blinders like that and they forget that uh, the light is one the light is one you know mm -hmm. love is one mm. Yeah. I mean, you all would know this, you and Daniel would know this better than me, but in the episodes we've had, I think the critique from, I know, Daniel, the way we talked about our episodes where we have talked about, you know, ayahuasca and your experiences and so on, the critique from the, maybe the religious side has been what, like that the plants are creating, they're not healthy or something, or they create artificial experiences or like how, what, I mean, there's two sides of critique, I guess the critique from the plant medicine side would be that the religious side gets too narrow and too rigid or something, right? Is that the critique? But then from the from the other side, from the religious side, it's just that you're doing these alter states of consciousness and they're like they're not really as meaningful. Is that the way it plays out? I mean, I'm curious to hear from from y'all how that how those two critiques are how they express themselves. What I you think you're absolutely right, and that's the problem. That's the problem, and that's the way it is, you know. And so, what the what the religious movement, modern religious movement, and the different churches and different movement they forget is that at the very origin of the of religion, there is some altered altered state consciousness experience as as a foundator of the of the religion, you know. You the Bible is made of it. The, the prophets and the and Moise with the with the bush and everything—it's altered state of consciousness. But now, why would it be forbidden? That's you a great know? question. Why would it be <laughs> forbidden? So only the prophet at this time, back in the days, could have this experience, and we cannot have it now. So for me, it was the, those limitations? I don't think the, we say as a, as a joke in French: those walls of those limitations. Thanks God, they don't go to up to heaven. They stop at some point. Oh, okay. And oh, yeah. so that's the we put walls because history has its own weight, history, social, sociology also has its own has its own effect, you know, on on the human consciousness. But uh, in the spiritual experience, no, those walls doesn't exist, or they're transparent, if you like. Yeah, I think from uh, the the modern use of psychedelics or you know the medicines, we'll call them is the context in which they're being used. You know, I think probably some religious organizations would say that you could just take them willy-nilly, right? You can just sort of go here, go there, take whatever you want and, and you know, have any experience you want, but maybe one day you get this thing, one day you get something else. There's, you know, it, it's open to your own interpretation. And if you're not centered, if you're not guided in a certain way that that, that might lead to a further kind of hindrance of your own mind state of your own experience of your own life and the goal is to help your life help your experience help your spiritual existence whatever right help your mental capacity and so there is not so while we don't like rigid structure on the other hand 
to not have anything in place to kind of hold someone's experience and, and kind of help guide them leaves it open to, you know, potential nefarious forces or just sort of unknown variables that could t totally, you know, have a really detrimental effect when someone is on something that is going to leave them in a very kind of vulnerable state. And so this is why I, you know, enjoy the the way in which that some of the traditional uh, ideologies approach using the medicines is in a ceremonial space, giving people the sort of like extra boundary to be able to re relax into feeling like they're sort of being held as they're releasing control, allowing themselves to have experiences that are outside of the normal. And that they're sort of like, I guess it's the best word I could say they're contained, you know, within this very sort of like spiritual minded, you know, very sort of gentle yet firm kind of, yeah, boundary, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like a container for the experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also for me, what's important also to mention in this in this dialogue that we have in this discussion, that for me, ayahuasca and plant medicine are not a religion. It's very important to precise that. Because uh, why, for me, having my own personal spiritual practice and the, the, the practice with the plant medicine is not a problem is because the practice with the plant medicine is not a religion. Mm. And so it's not, it, it, it's like uh, if someone would be Christian, uh, could a Christian study uh, Chinese medicine? Yeah. <laughs> That's the same question. Yeah. yeah. And so in, in my marrying service, yes. If you know that it's a medicine, very sophisticated, ancient medicine, knowing the energetical center of the human being, knowing all of that, that the modern medicine has lost a little bit of sight, you know, knowing that, well, there's no problem. I have my personal spiritual practice, my belief system, if you want, and I have my medicinal practice. So they, they, they are not on the same level. The only difference I would say, maybe like Chinese medicine, uh, I don't know enough about that, but is that the, 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 the practice with the plant medicine, especially with the ayahuasca that comes from South America, they open you to, can, to a, a spiritual experience. Mm. They can open you to a spiritual understanding of the world and the, and the man and woman, but it's, there's not a religion per se. And so... That's, I think, for me, it's very important to precise because if we're approaching like a little bit like the, the new age, modern ways, yeah. if we're approaching the, the ayahuasca this way, we're losing uh, the, the, the true meaning of the medicine, you know. What I really b believe in myself, I believe in traditions with a T, uh, capital T. And the, the tradition are always a very narrow path, but that end up expanding your consciousness. Mm. If we look at the, at, the, at many many um, new 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 ways right now, like the new age, if I can say, they are started by expanding you, but at the end you end up not really uh, changing yourself. There, this narrowness of the path is missing that leads you to this expansion. The, if I, I guess can... that's the container Daniel was talking about, yes, right? You exactly. need some place to put things in. But I guess yes. it makes it also inclusive the way you two are talking because you don't have to have any particular pre-existing belief structure to participate in the medicine you can just go and participate if you happen to be a Taoist, you can participate from that yep. previous experience if you're a greek orthodox Muslim. or some whoever you can come in with that in that inclusive way yes. and you'll take out a bit whatever the medicine speaks to you or something right you'll get what's important to you out of that absolutely absolutely yeah. the medicine is a way of life it's a philosophy of life 
So you after that, you, you can adapt it with any kind of uh, personal background, atheist background, religious background, Buddhist background. It's just uh, the way that you're going to practice it, you know. Yeah. When you have atheist students, you two, how do they handle that, though? Because you're going to get something that's going to, like, be a little transcendent of, like, the way most people tend to. This is maybe a so, little bit of a tangent, but yeah, it's a, it's, that's a little challenging, right? Because it's going to open visions of things beyond what most people want to think of as being their material world and where they've set their limits for themselves. Is that true or is that my... No, 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 that's very, very true. But you know how it works usually is that when they present themselves as atheists, when they leave our place, they are not atheists anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they arrive, they're probably atheists. But when they leave, no, they have at least an open mind at least. And I think this open mind is a, is very important, you know, because even in uh, the new pre-judgment, pre pre-established judgment that no, the, the goal is to be open-minded, you know, you know. What do you think some of those, we don't do as much new biases in that. What are some of the things you're seeing there, Remy? That might be useful. Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on. One... For me, the main one is that. Hold on, hold on one second. Let me just let yeah. me switch my internet over. Hold on one second. I had to change my internet over for our uh, audio and visual visual viewers because we were getting a little choppy, and I didn't want to I didn't want to miss anything because I'm I'm liking the way the conversation is going. So Eric, please please continue. Well, you know what it was hitting me uh, in talking to you too was the idea that before we before we mic'd up official, we were talking informally, and we said, well, let's talk about what it means to work with people. And I guess what hits me in it is like, you know, Remy's there, you're doing the same, your work within this uh, same approach, right? And um, uh, you're going to be working with different kinds of people. So what what's it like to work with someone who comes in with an atheistic view, what happens to them? And then Remy was talking about new age people and they have their own kind of like presuppositions and and ideas coming in. And Remy was just saying, sometimes those are things that people have to transcend. So I was wondering what it was like for the new age folks too. Yeah, yeah right. what do you we don't always talk about that as much. Right. Does that question make sense, Remy? Yes, absolutely. For me, yeah. the, the, the main main bias from people coming from a very new age is a lack of structure in their metaphysical view of the world. They have a lack of a spine, you know, yeah. like a, a metaphysical spine. It's like butterflies. A little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. I do my own source. And that's it. I drink it. No, no, no. The, the, what the tradition told you is that you need a spine. And the spine is the tradition. That's what gives you, as Daniel was saying, this, this frame to be able to receive the spiritual experience that life is. Yeah, I've had that problem. I know if it's been for you all with students, too. People come in, like, I think with sincere intentions, you know, and they're curious and they want to learn. And you start to say, well, okay especially in this maybe more new age or kind of like a freestyle spirituality that's really common in the United States. Like I'm kind of just spiritual in some general sense, but without a lot of context for it, you know? And then you try to say, well, let's build some context. And sometimes it's uncomfortable for people or, you know, there's a little bit of resistance to that too. So maybe that's something to talk about. How do you all feel like you handle that? I guess if you're on a retreat doing some medicine, something's going to happen. <laughs> that's going to well, start sure. blowing I mean, your context up or something but the main thing is that all all the people that come for us for the better and the worse they are ego-centered and for me uh, life really start to open and be a true life when it's theo-centered centered on god and no more on my ego 
Yeah. And so that's when really the soul and the human mind open itself. But for that, you need a frame. That's why we, we, the tradition is important. You know, if not, we, it's a little bit in the wind like that in the in the ether. And so, but, but what I do myself when people come to us, I take everybody at, as, they, as they are. I don't judge and I don't speak so much about my religious practice. My medicine practice is informed by it, but I don't necessarily speak about it unless they ask. And uh, the main moment where I would speak about all of that and then and try to get people a little bit sensitive to, the, to, those, uh, to those ideas is when they come with uh, drug addictions or alcoholism addiction, because basically for me, the addiction is just trying to replace what religion was doing back in the days to give you this experience of something transcendental that we have lost because all the main ancient religion has been uh, thrown on the side like that or been forgotten in our societies. And so, and, and so we find drugs to replace that. We look for transcendence and for something real in those drugs. And so that's when, in a specific context, I would talk about God to people. You say, okay, you're going to do drugs until you find God in your life. Or name it as you want, but until you find it, you will put drugs in your system. When you will find it, the drugs will disappear off your life. It's kind of a funny astrology behind that. We don't do as much astrology talk, but it's kind of like the Pisces thing or the 12th house thing, you know, astrologically. People, if you don't kind of find that, transcendent god or yep. you know the transcendent meaning you'll try to like it'll unconsciously drive you in other ways to try to pursue those experiences right exactly not exactly. really knowing what you're looking for and i yeah. really do believe that it's also the fault of the main established religion you know because they made us forget that religion it's an experience an experience first not a teaching not a moral not a, 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 an ethic for life it's an experience of a god that's what religion should teach you. And they forget a little bit about that religion are to teach us uh, and mystical experience. But most of the time they teach us how to behave, what to do, what not to do, or how to, to behave and how to be a good man, how to be, it's not enough. And so that's why for reason and good reason, the modern men and modern women have thrown the religion on the side. And because they've forgotten their initial message, you know, and so we have that's what I try to teach the people when they come to us they do the plant medicine we clean their body we clean their their their, their mind and their system out of the drugs and then we teach them okay now you have to find a meaning with the capital M you know which is the experience of the transcendent uh, transcendence you know experience of the infinity in your life I think or it's yeah. people yeah. come you know whether Part of religion, part of religion, or at least modern practice of religion's influence on society is that it does give some people some means to transcend. Same thing with culture, actually, too. It gives you the opportunity to transcend the limitations that you are that you are grown within, even if it's atheism, even if it's, you know, they say, oh, there's, you know, modern new age spirituality, even if it it doesn't matter. It's 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 the ideology that is sort of, you know, imprinted upon you or you choose it. But then like, I, I think for me, some of the deep experiences that I've seen people have, you know, with the medicine and, and, you know, coming out of it in their life is the shift away from what they had believed at one time. It doesn't mean that they have to like throw everything away and go, oh no, that's not worth it anymore. They might be able to find more value in it, but it changes. 
but it changes because they're coming from a particular place. So if you're coming from atheist to saying, oh, maybe I'm open-minded, or if you're coming from Catholicism to saying, well, you know what, maybe there is something here to this, a different kind of sacrament, not just the one body of Christ or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever tradition you're coming from, that like the ability to have that as a, as a jumping point, as a, as a, a place to transform from is just as important as, as not having it actually. Cause when you don't have it, you have, it has to be replaced. Something has to come into it, right? Like an addiction of some type or some behavior, even if it's not addiction to like drugs or something, it could be addiction to work yeah. right? or yeah. some pattern of behavior. Now you have to then transcend this thing because these become, I, I, I feel like seeing this with people and Remy obviously has thousands of more people experienced than I do from this perspective, but I have some a little bit that it's required. It's required for somebody to begin their process by leaving the things that were giving them um, comfort, even if it was uncomfortable in the place that they found comfort, like some kind of addiction that was negative to their lifetime, you know, but having that as kind of like a overbearing older brother or sister, you know, you need to be able to push away from them at some point to then come back and say, actually, you were here to help me grow here to help me learn. And that that transition, I think, at least in my perspective of taking your life and the things that have happened to you, instead of being only like downtrodden by them, but then coming out the other side and saying, man, they actually like, they got me to this particular point and I wouldn't be who I am without them is some of the most deepest and profound pieces that I've experienced, you know, with, with myself and with people that I've seen sometimes, um, giving them this opportunity to grow in this kind of a way, you know, and this transcends not just religion, but with culture and philosophy and all the other ologies and osophies that I could think of, you know? So kind of like a growth curve or something. You see the previous events as kind of like a curve building, and then you've gotten mm -hmm. to this next place and it's still building further. So mm -hmm. it may transform, mm -hmm. but there's a growth to it. Is that kind of like uh, capturing some of the idea that, uh, that Daniel too? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder about like, <clears throat> okay, so the way we talked about this, and I'll just throw it out and y'all can tell me if you think it's not true, but there is this idea. I'm a little interested in Gnosticism too, you know, like the, you know, the Gnostic tradition. And then there's this tension that happened between the Gnostics that were more experiential and then the, maybe the more Orthodox. Yes. Which would probably become Roman Catholic. <laughs> Greek <laughs> Orthodox may be a little different, but Roman Catholic for sure. Whereas like, no, we have these teachings and the most important thing is following this teaching. And then the experiential thing got kind of shoved down and there was sort of a hostility maybe to like the experiential side. It's in like, the gospel of Mary Magdalene. There's an argument about this where they're going like, I had, she says, I have a vision, you know, and this vision has meaning. And we, you, you know, she's talking to the apostles. You have to listen to my vision because it has meaning. This is real. And then mm -hmm. there's a big argument. And then it's usually Peter's the bad guy <laughs> mm -hmm. who comes out and says, no, 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 no. You have to listen to like the more traditional, the teaching of it, you know, like the, the more Orthodox perspective. Right. And then there's a little clash. <laughs> and I can't remember who it is. Maybe it's Thomas or something comes in and says, no, 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 stop giving her a hard time, Peter. She had a vision <laughs> and uh -huh. you have to like, take that with some seriousness too. But there's something about that. There's some tension there, right. That developed in like the Euro European spiritual tradition or something between like the experiential and more of the teaching I think aspect. Uh, fundamentally, Rick, also it's a, it's the natural tension in, in, that is inherent to the human to, to the humankind is the, the the separation between the mind which would be more the gnostic aspect you know 
the gnosis gnosis in greek means knowledge you know the the, the knowledge and after that the heart you know the the, the enlightened heart the heart was connected naturally to the the, the 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 divine you know and so when we're centered in our mind yes we will have some tension you know or if we are too centered into our emotion we're going to have some tension you know and so the problem for me is more that the the, the in the gnostic the in the gnostic movement which i know very well too is that uh, the, 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 the salvation, as we said, so the experience, the ultimate experience, comes from an intellectual illumination, the knowledge that we acquire and are going to give us an experience. I do believe myself is the contrary. We have first an, a transcendental experience that will become a knowledge after that, a mental formulation of it, if, if you understand and I can so, see it can be a danger to go either way. If you spend all their time in your thought, hoping to get some experience out of that, they might never, that might never click really, right? Absolutely. That absolutely. might never like follow its way through. And then you never yeah. have the experiential side. You just have a sort of a more dry yep. kind of intellectual yep. understanding. And I guess the flip side would be if you just have experience, but you don't have a container for it. Yes. Then you have a bunch of experiences. Daniel and I have talked about that too. Experience, mm -hmm. experience, experience, but it doesn't build so that it doesn't then transform the person in the actuality of their life. They kind of just, that was a cool thing and it's kind of like semi-forgotten and then that was yeah. a cool thing, but it doesn't exactly build into something. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the way I see it, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a real, like something has to happen there. Yeah. Well, that's why like, I mean, Remy, you could certainly say, you know, what, what you've seen, but the people who I've seen who had like really deep transformation in their life after sitting with some plant medicines, for me, most of the time, have already a practice of some type in their life, whether it be a musical practice, meditation practice, some kind of artwork. They they have some place to kind of help them foster their growth a little bit, you know, and this is giving them this sort of light framework, you know, to help them sort of have a respite from their life. And yet there's still this, but the container is growing and changing and deepening at the same time. I'm not saying that it hasn't happened to other people ever at all. This is not like an extreme answer, but just from my own experience, when people have a very deep experience and we're talking about, you know, having an experience versus being with it logically, that it, it can produce great change. But then, like Remy was saying, that change can sort of dissipate if it's not woven into someone's life. And having a practice of some type, and especially if it's been going on for a while, you're able to bring that, those experiences, those realizations, those changes in perspective into your existence and do what you want to do, which is change how you see the world, change how you see the universe, experience, you know, oneness on a more regular basis, not only at the, you know, peak of a sneeze or a tip of an orgasm or something like this, you know, like it's, it's, it's a regular thing, you know, I mean, what do you think, Rem? No, I, I agree with you. It's like uh, to take an, uh, uh, an analogy is like those practices that we do with the plant medicine are like seeds. If the soil is prepared, the, soil, the, the seeds are going to grow. If you just have the seeds in your hands, yes, potentially you have some tomatoes, potentially you have some oak, potentially you have some other plants, but you have nothing to grow them. If you have a practice, a spiritual practice or frame, existential frame, it's like having a good soil, rich soil, those, those, uh, those seeds are going to be able to grow and to feed you, to give you shadow after that and to give you help in, in, your, 
in your life after that. So that's exactly exactly true. Exactly true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think even the way you were talking about Daniel with the arts or something like that too. I know how you feel about Remy. We've been doing some episodes recently on uh, Carl Jung. You know, mm-hmm. so we've been kind of like talking about that and uh, maybe just the idea that people, even through art or through other, maybe they're not meditating or something, but they're doing something else. And I guess if you were being like a little Carl Jung, if I were to try to like channel him a little bit, mm-hmm. the idea would be that, you know, you're getting into some other part of consciousness, you know, some other maybe collective unconscious or some mm-hmm. other thing, just some other part of the human mind. So you're not just in like the more mundane aspects of the human mind that just kind of takes yep. care of business on a daily basis. So even if you're an artist, you're tapping into something else, right? And then when you do the medicine, then it can build on that too, because you've already done something that taps into some other part of yourself or something. Does that make sense too? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very interesting way to to put it, for sure. And sometimes art is the best way to have a religious experience for our modern souls, you know? So that's maybe the the way it it should be now i don't know but you absolutely to we tap into something higher than us which is not ego-centered anymore it's higher or deeper which is the same you know i guess we were talking about this over my crepes earlier i'll throw it out to you too (laughs) (laughs) to build on it my my crepe continuation continuation of my crepe conversation with you all Philosophical crepes, right? Yeah, philosophical crepes. It's a new podcast. Philosophical crepes. That's it. Three of us. Philosophical crepes. Keep going. Um, So um, I had like a little epiphany and it does relate back to Jung. So Jung said this funny thing. He said, you know, his patients had different issues, but he had a group of patients where he felt like they just felt kind of like flat. Their lives felt flat. Mm -hmm. And he said the main problem for them was that they hadn't tapped into the what we've been talking about, the more transcendent parts of who they are, or they haven't touched the divine or the God, or so they haven't touched that part of themselves that makes that connection. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're an artist, maybe you tap into this creative, imaginative part of yourself that will lead you further or whatever. So he said, that's their main problem. So he would give them them, them assignments that you think as clinicians, it's not that easy even to imagine, but he would say, draw a mandala every day of your own imagination. You know, mm-hmm. or he'd have them do these creative things. But I think the diagnosis was you you feel flat, you know, and that we were we were talking about this whole experience of almost like boredom, that people feel kind of flat and kind of bored. You know, mm-hmm. there's a kind of a boredom in it. And I was thinking, you know, it hadn't hit me to make this connection, but it does go back to the words we were using earlier. I thought, you know, when you feel bored, what you're really feeling is kind of like meaninglessness or like inauthenticity. Emptiness emptiness uh like it's there's no there's no juice there's there's no inspiration there's no touch the enthusiasm the god within coming out or something right mm-hmm. you don't feel that so there's a kind of a boredom and i i don't know how you all look at that but it was something where i thought yeah that really is true i think when people say bored or even for myself if i if i say well, this is boring what i really am saying is this doesn't seem like it has any real meaning right yeah and i wonder like how much you see people searching for something like that, that what's driving people is some, what they would call boredom or mm-hmm. flatness, but what they're really looking to tap into something else. Does that seem true to your all experience with people yes, you're working sure. with? The way I would, I would see it for myself is like their life force is blocked, you know? Mm-hmm. What is blocking the life force within him? It can be a deconnection with their emotions, their own, their own emotion, can be a deconnection from their own dreams. It can be a deconnection, it can be a deconnection from their own uh, um, artistic side, as you said, you know, as you mentioned, all those like 
archetypes, if we are young and, you know, that are talking to us, informing us through our emotion, through our dreams, through our myth, personal myth, personal uh, art, uh, art practice. And so, but for me, the main, main thing is that it's a problem of uh, when we feel flat, bored, empty, like that, is that the life force has left us. And we have to find a way to bring it back inside. That's exactly what we do with the medicine. Bring more life force inside the persons. Bring more joy, bring more love, bring more emotions. So with that, they can have a full life, you know. Because I have another opinion about boredom, is that I think life, in essence, uh, if you look at life, if, for example, we, there were no uh, men and women on Earth, life would be very bored. Or very boring you know i think the essence of life is is boring but it's not this boredom out of emptiness it's a boredom out of uh, plenitude oh, interesting way to put yeah that. there's you, a lot going around that potentially you can feel engaged with but you feel what like cut off and therefore you feel bored is that the idea remy no is that there's like nothing to do is the <laughs> maximum non-action which is the uh -huh. ultimate action yeah, that there's there's not there's not an there's not an opportunity for struggle. Yes, and it's you know, stillness. Because... stillness. Usually, people think stillness it's emptiness. No, stillness is plenitude. Oh, I see. So, if I can, I, I was listening to something yesterday, Remy. Where I, I think it was I forgot who it was. Ta there were philosopher talking about this thing, and they were like, people are aiming to be superior to other people, which is. A, which is a fallacy number one because you're you're not right you should be more of yourself authentically but the issue was that most people and not everybody obviously but many people especially in western society have access to lots and lots of things and therefore their desires are always sort of quelched or you know satisfied very very quickly and so there's not this sense of greater struggle. Remy, you talked about the spine earlier. Maybe we can call it willpower, you know, mm -hmm. that people don't build a sense of will because I could just pull out one of these phones right here. And if I want something, I can push this button and then it comes to me. So why would I go to a store and, and maybe see something else that I might like? Or maybe I would be run into some member of a you know, sex that I would find attractive and talk to them or meet some person or go on an adventure or do something. But because all of my needs are so easily satisfied, I never have to stress myself out. And I mean a good stress, not like, oh God, I'm not going to make it, you know, but I never have to like take Telling a leap you. of faith yeah. and, and go beyond just the normal kind of existence in order to have something that I can't buy online or that I can't buy, purchase very easily. And because of that, it's sort of like drawing you back inwards and then things then, then you just stop wanting you know and not just wanting like a pair, pair of shoes or shirt or something like this but you stop wanting experiences that you cannot purchase because you don't even you're not your mind doesn't even go there actually and i feel like this is when the boredom starts to set in is because they don't realize like there's a whole world that exists outside of just the 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 you know four or five walls that we incur on a regular basis and going to another country is a big journey. Sitting with the medicine is a big journey. Even if you've done it a hundred times, you have to get ready for it. 
you have to eat in a certain way and and listen to different things and not eat or not have you know uh relations with your partner or partners or whatever these are different ways of challenging us in ways that we are not normally and this brings to me it brings out the best in people because it shows them that they can actually do something they don't they don't normally do and it, it expands their their living experience in in this way and so things are not bored because you have something to look forward to it gives you a little bit of a spark a little bit of a purpose when I think for many people, it's so routine. Life is so routinized that this sort of, I don't know, inspiration gets squeezed more and more and more as time goes on until eventually it's just like this tiny little flame that's enough for you to make the next paycheck, go home and watch some TV or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you know, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. And then it's over and over and over and over and over again. And this is not the, for me, the spirit does not like this. It is not excited by these kinds of things, you know, like no good story begins and ends with the same page over and over and over again. <laughs> you know sure. what I'm saying? Wow. This book is the same thing on every page. <laughs> the shittiest book ever. I have a little, I have a little story about that. When I was living in the monastery, an old monk was dying and I was spending time with him every day like that. He was, uh, he died in my, I was holding his hand when he died, by the way, he was very old and he was losing his memory. And a friend of him came, wrote a novel, was very, uh, a terrible novel, very, very terrible novel, but left him on his, on his uh, night table next to him before he left the monastery. And this old monk who was losing his memory and every day was reading the same book and he was, oh, this book is great. And the next day, forget about <laughs> it, was taking the book. Wow, this book is great. And he read one book for the last six months of his life until he died one afternoon. It felt fresh every day, right? It felt yeah. super fresh every day. He was discovering <laughs> this terrible novel every day. But yes, that's the... the yeah. Okay, I guess I got three things I could throw out real quick. So my this is my son's chess stuff in the background behind mm -hmm. me over here. My son's like a big chess player. And this is another conversation over crepes because we're talking about my son and his chess playing. And uh, it does give him a challenge, Daniel. You know, like all the time he's trying to work at something that, you know, he's 10 years old. So he feels this passion for this thing. And I've tried to make it almost into like a Zen practice for him because you're going to learn all kinds of things doing that. You're going to learn how to overcome obstacles. You're going to learn how to like, pursue something you love, but have difficulties and, you know, moments where you, you know, you don't do as well. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's a whole, there's a kind of a Zen thing about even like swordsmanship or something, you know, you can learn by going through something that's a challenging thing like that. And so maybe there's something in that, in the challenge part of it. Right. But then I also think you were talking about like desire and, you know, gin and tantra is the podcast and you need some kind of fire, some kind of yeah. desire. Yeah, drive you forward. If you lose that feeling of desire and spark, kind of what Remy was talking about, you need to feel that that mm -hmm. spirit flow in you or something. You can get kind of flat, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so you know, I also get that Remy, you're saying like in some moment when there's stillness, people might find that boring, but actually that's full of the presence of God. That's stillness, wonder, right? The wonderful life. Yeah. You know? yeah. Mm. So, but I. It also hit me as we're getting to the you know, more towards the end of our time together. I want to throw out this last thing because this is like, you know, or, or maybe not the very last thing. But I think, Remy, you went from the monastery straight to doing your your center, uh, the ayahuasca center in not Mexico, exactly, right? No, 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 not okay. exactly. I, when I left the monastery, I went to Peru to study the, the plant medicine. Mm -hmm. So I left the south of France to go to Peru, South America, where I studied for many years over there the different practice, the different plants that they are teaching. 
And then I met my wife, who was happen, who happened to be American, from Springfield, Illinois, and <laughs> we moved from Springfield to to Mexico to to create Kumankaya, our healing center, retreat center, where we are now for five years. In fact, the thirteenth of July this this year will be five years already. That's today. That's today. So that's it. It's five years today. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Well, yeah, yeah, there you go. Look at this. <laughs> so I was the only thing I was going to say was, and I say this with admiration and a slight tinge of envy. Mm -hmm. Like you haven't, like your life has been set up in a way that you haven't lived like uh maybe like a normal America person's everyday life. Your life has actually been quite extraordinary in that you went from one kind of more unusual set of circumstances, the monastic setting to this pursuit of learning about the medicine. So your life has had this very particular. Yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm analyzing from the outside, but it's had a very interesting trajectory because it wasn't like you were working at like Abbott or something or like, you know, uh, it's uh, funny, Eric, you say corporate that. setting or something. That's funny you know? that you say that, Eric, because I lived 20 years in a monastery. The last 10 years I was Abbott of the monastery. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so a different my brother works for abbott the drug company oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. no myself no yeah no and he's only he hasn't gotten to be abbott he's somewhere in the middle <laughs> he's not the abbott of abbott he's not the abbott of abbott but yeah. then lots of people tell me that eric but you know what i never thought about that myself when you live your life you don't think about what you're doing so lots of people have told me, you should write a book. You should do something. It's a, it's one of a story. I say, I don't think like that. I mean, I did all the time what I wanted to do. And if I wanted to do something really unusual or unorthodox, like entering into a monastery at 17 years old, it wasn't my problem at all. It was, okay, this is what I want to do. And it created lots of problems, for example, with my family. I haven't seen my mom for 10 years when I entered the monastery because she was against it. She was the only one religious in the family. So oh. apparently the trajectory seems to be like, wow, it's very unusual. It's very different, it's very original. I never thought about it. I just did what I what was right for me. And I always changed myself when my art wasn't, in, wasn't into it anymore. So at, at 20 years of monastic life, at some point, my art wasn't into it anymore. I changed. And I'm working with the plant medicine now until maybe one day I will feel, no, it's finished for me. And so that's my, my trajectory comes from my heart. What I'm drawn, draw, driven to do, you know, when, and not necessarily what I'm supposed to do. Well, I think that's very inspiring. I mean, whether you want to write a book or not, it's up to you. <laughs> but there is something inspiring about that. And it takes a, like a, a certain amount of courage, right? Oh, my to do that to leave that I've been here 20 years. I feel like there's security here. Now I have to go and do something. And that takes courage, right? Courage or craziness. I don't know. You want to call it yeah. <laughs> a little close sometimes. Yeah, yes, yes. They're the same for sure. But yeah, I mean, that that's a, uh, what we did with our with uh, with my wife is that when we were when we turned 40, we, we, we were thinking about moving. We didn't know exactly where we discovered Mexico and we 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 decided to, to move because we, we've noticed that if we wouldn't have moved, it's because we would, have, have, we would have been afraid of it. And we didn't want our life to be uh, uh, decided by fear. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. you understand? And so when we yeah. turned 40, we're like, okay, let's do it. Let's just sell everything, buy a camper, a 1984 Chevy camper, drive to Mexico until we find a land, 
and bought it and also that's what happened to us but it was a big leap leap of faith but also it was a very important way for us to challenge ourselves we were starting to be at 40 years old a little bit too much uh, comfortable in our life you know even in our medicinal practice you know plant medicine practice and we needed to be challenged to see to yes to find more meaning you know as we said since the beginning of our podcast you know to find a, a greater meaning or broader meaning and that's why we moved to Mexico and uh, because we didn't want our life to be driven by fear you know fear of trying at least no, I think it's a big deal. I don't know, Daniel, you have your own experiences with this too. I always flash back to myself in my like, kind of like early 20s. I was getting my degree. I was at University of Chicago. And I was like, well, if I keep going this, there's a certain, I could see that, I'll use the word trajectory again. I could yeah. kind of foresee yeah. the trajectory. And I was like, nah, this isn't right. This mm -hmm. isn't right. So I left. And I think I was like four quarters away from getting my degree. I was like, I'm out. Because mm -hmm. I felt like if I didn't make that change, it would have this momentum to it. Yeah. And then I wouldn't stop it. So I felt like I got to stop this here. Otherwise, I'll just keep going. And then I went to go study Zen and do these things. And it was a little, not like I wasn't leaving like the monastery to go to Peru to go. I wasn't doing that exactly, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it took some courage, right? To go and make those changes. For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's How's that for you, Daniel? Where do you think that really happened in the biggest moment for you? Because you've had your own life thing here. I, you know, the first one was, was, joining the military that was probably the most conscious one mm. you know being in high school and knowing that i didn't have a clear path and not having finances or enough scholarships to pay for things uh, left me with not again not not i couldn't see anything you know and i was i didn't want to make a decision without having a, a at least some idea you know of what might be on the other side and so that was the, that that seemed to be the most logical choice. And the choice was basically to prolong my my decision. You know, I was like, well, if I at least go in the military, I won't have to decide for a couple of years and I'll get a little bit of money for school. And that was basically it. And then all the things that happened, you know, when I was in changed my mindset, you know, completely, basically, and some by omission and some by experience. Um, but that was probably the first time that I uh, actually no, that was the second time. The very first time that occurred, and this is probably more fun to talk about, is uh, so my mother and father divorced when I was probably or they split up when I was about seven. And there was a very long and drawn out and ugly and very expensive court battle that occurred for the next probably three or four years. Um. And my mom lived in California. My dad lived in Chicago. My mom's family lived in Chicago. And so did my dad's family, so my friends, everybody was here. So they fought over for us for custody. And my dad ended up, you know, quote unquote, he won. He won the court case. Whether or not there were winners and losers in this kind of expenditure, probably not. Everyone probably loses, to be totally honest, you know. But either way, so I ended up living in Chicago throughout my childhood. And then my father got remarried. The woman he remarried had a son. Then him and his wife now had my younger brother, uh, who's 27 at this point. And so we were just in this small kind of apartment, you know, three-bedroom apartment with, you know, uh, four boys and two parents, so six people, you know, which is, you know, and the area wasn't terrible, wasn't great, was what it was, whatever. And I just, you know, I needed braces. I was definitely not going to get a car. Uh, I just didn't see, I didn't see any way for me to grow. 
you know, but I had responsibility being the oldest brother of, you know, my youngest brother was 14 years younger than younger than me. My second, then the next one was four years younger than my younger brother is two years younger. So I had a sense of responsibility, but I also knew like, I can't continue to live here. There's, there's not enough financial resources for me and there's not enough opportunity. Like there's not, I, I don't know where, you know, what, what's supposed to happen. And so I made the conscious effort and, you know, with, with, you know, pain on in my heart and, and towards the heart of my father, my, you know, younger brother, my two-year younger brother, that I moved to California and live with my mom, even after my dad had struggled so hard to keep us. Um, and that was not an easy decision, but that was the first time that I, you know, like Remy said, or like he experienced with himself, made a choice about life and not wanting to live in just the, the, the confines of comfort, you know, but actually like break through it and go experience something different for the sake of, you know, I got to give it a try. And so, and I've done that, you know, multiple times. And now that I can look back and, and think on it, I'm, I'm always glad that I did. Always glad that I did. So I say like, thank you too for sharing it because I wonder about that with people. I don't know if like ayahuasca or meditation or anything's mean anything until you like make them in your life somehow they have to inform your life and they somehow have to change your life and yeah obviously you two are about talking about ways that you've changed very important because uh, i do believe that uh, um, our life is flat as you mentioned you know eric and flat and kind of bored unless we have a spiritual vision that leads us man needs a vision there is no man without a vision before that in the ancient American Indian, they were look, speaking about the vision quest. So nowadays it's it's a little bit different, but it was for a reason if they were speaking about the vision quest. Like you have no life if you have no vision. And so that thing that's very important to have a vision to be able to live as a man. If not, we're not men or we're not women. If we don't have a vision to lead us, whatever this vision is, a dream, uh, art practice or spiritual practice or whatever it is, metaphysical research or philosophical studies, but we need a vision to, to, to lead us. That's definitely what would give us this plenitude I was talking about. And after we can be very poor, we can be living in a very precarious situation, but if we have this vision, we're full. Yeah. There's if not. Remy has to go, I can't think of a better way to end the podcast, Daniel. That's right. That's right. No, I think that's... that's and, the, and the chimes went perfectly. Oh, yeah. The music came through. Tling, 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 tling. Yeah. Um, Remy, right at I the think, right moment. Remy, I think the only other question I have, I don't know if we talked about it last time, your, your center, uh, and now we'll do what we said earlier, right? Because this is how we seamlessly wrap it in. Um, so you and your wife's center is called Kumankaya. Where does that name come from? And it's located just outside of Tulum, by the way, again. But where, where does that name come from? It's a Peruvian legend of a flying village. And because our, our, all our building and facilities of our center are built in those little hills that we have in, our, in the jungle we, we bought, the piece of jungle we bought, it looks like it's a little bit of fairy call, flying, flying village around. That's why we call it Kumankaya. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. I like, I, I like that. I, I do like that. Thank you for... For giving us a little illumination so i'm going to leave uh, a link to the website in the description of this podcast we've had you on before so we talked a little bit about your center and what you guys do then and there i'll also um 
Well, that's, that's what I'll do. We'll post this on all the things that we have. You know, you could share this as well. And, you know, if people have questions that the on the website that you can email Remy and Ashley and maybe visit them at certain times of the year if you're interested or uh, if you want to get a hold of me and ask me questions about it, that's totally cool. Um, uh, again, I'll leave the, the link for Remy's podcast in the in the description. Our email, as we always give, is ginandtantra at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave a link or you can leave a like or comment in the YouTube uh, comment section or on Instagram or Facebook or something else like this. You know, we're uh, we want to make Remy and Ashley's work uh, accessible to people. Uh, you know, I've been there. I went there last or no, this January and we'll be going back again next January and hopefully every January after that. So long as they uh, own that place, that's the at least that's my vision. You know, um, you know, because I, you know, I, I love Remy. I love Ashley. They're wonderful people. I vouch for them. Uh, you know, like I trust them, you know, infinitely, just as I trust Eric. And, um, you know, I have zero hesitation in, in, in singing the praises of their work, of the presence of the medicine in my life and in, in many other people's lives who it's touched. You know, it, it gives an opportunity for people to really work in a short amount of time to create change. And then hopefully, like Remy said, those seeds get planted as we prepare the soil. And it's really a pleasure in this lifetime to be able to be a shepherd to help to bring people to the to the field of change, if you will, you know? Absolutely. And so, uh, so yeah, I'd I'm say, happy. I, I kind of love the way, I mean, for people who are listening, just the way Remy is presenting this as a very kind of big, inclusive, almost holistic kind of I use the word vision again, vision of how to do this. I think that's very inspiring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you guys. That was really a good time with you guys. I enjoyed that. Of course. Of course. As always, forgive my French. <laughs> that's oh, very melodious. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about the microtones. We were talking yeah. about microtones earlier. I was hearing microtones all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. Yeah. All right, well, Remy, thanks again for coming on. Uh, thank you guys of course eric as always thank you for being here listeners and viewers thank you guys for for tuning in thank you for sharing you know leave a like on the apple podcast uh if you're subscribing or not subscribing do one or the other i don't know whatever uh we do this because we love doing it because we enjoy helping people there's no monetary benefit this is pure love and enjoyment for us as human beings and as healers and it is uh, really a wonderful opportunity to, to, to be able to have meaningful and heartfelt conversations uh, with, with both of these two gentlemen whom I, I hold dearly in this lifetime. And I'm going to stop talking before my eyes start to water. So for Daniel, <laughs> peace. Peace, guys. Bye-bye. I want you to get together. I want you to get to get together.